You're listening to Scattered by Anchored Baptist Church, where we work to reflect the diversity of Hermanus as we gather to hear the good news about the person and work of Jesus and as we scatter to share it. We hope that you enjoy. God's words for God's people. And it's an easy one today. If we were to go to either Deuteronomy or Exodus, we would read this. You shall not murder. You will not murder. Seems fairly simple, doesn't it? Fairly straightforward. And in a way, it is. But to get us started this morning, well, to be really honest with you, there's lots of juicy tales of murder in our Bibles. But we're just going to go to the first one, okay? So I'm going to go back to Genesis chapter 4, starting verse 1. Now, Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she gave birth to Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. That is to say, I've gotten the man. Maybe this is going to be the Messiah, the one that is going to crush the head of the serpent. And again, she bore his brother Abel. Now, Abel was a keeper of sheep, And Cain was a worker of the ground. And in the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So, Cain was very angry, and his face fell. Now, he could be angry with Abel, that's true, but it seems as though he's actually angry with the Lord, that the Lord would not accept his sacrifice. And we could speculate all day about why the Lord wasn't going to accept this sacrifice. Was it because it was of produce from the ground? Probably not. This was Cain's job. He was a farmer. He was doing what he was supposed to do. It seems as though there was something wrong with Cain's attitude, the way in which he was bringing what he was called to bring to the Lord. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? And why is your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, Sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Quite literally, the Lord is speaking to Cain, and He's saying, turn away from your sin. He's preaching a word to Cain, saying, your sin is right there. You're angry with me, but you have a choice right now. Turn to your sin or turn to me. Then Cain spoke to Abel, his brother. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel, your brother? He said, Cain, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, What have you done? 
the voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. (laughs) It's pretty great, isn't it? He murders his brother, then he says to the Lord, Whoa! Like, what, you're going to let me live? Uh, You're going to, to, to make me struggle more in my work? Well, surely this is not a just a just judgment. After, for no reason, he killed his brother. Literally. No reason. Behold, you have driven me today away from the ground, and from your face I shall be hidden. Ah, and we see now why Cain is upset. Because he's going to be driven away from the ground that he's been given by the Lord. And it's on this ground that he worships God. It's on this ground that he works, where he produces the fruit of the field to give to the Lord. Frankly, he thinks he's being taken away from the presence of the Lord. And in that way, we could echo and agree and say, yes, this is a great punishment. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. Then the Lord said to him, Not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest any who found him should attack him. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. If you remember when Adam and Eve got kicked out of the garden, they were put out east of Eden. Right to, to the, uh, what, east, what is east? The right-hand side of Eden. And further still now, Cain is being put out east of Eden, away, further and further away from the garden. Further and further away from what, he's seen, what he understands to be the true presence of God. And this has happened because of his sin. It would have been fun to go through all the murders. A lot of them are at least a lot more entertaining, much more movie and television-like than this particular one. Um, But we're not going to do that today. (laughs) Instead, what we're going to do is we're going to look at the story of Cain and Abel several times over today. It's going to be echoing back to us in the different texts that we're, we're reading this morning. And in order to do that, we're going to be asking ourselves a couple of questions. Um, But before we get there, I just want to read one more passage here. Um, From Genesis chapter 9, verse 6. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. See, what is the context of Genesis chapter 4? What is surrounding? What lives around Genesis chapter 4? Well, just before that, God created Adam and Eve, and He created them in His image. In some way to reflect the character of God. And He made them just the way that He wanted them to be. 
But when Adam and Eve sinned, they marred, they broke, they cracked that image. They were no longer living as God wanted them to live. They were no longer mirroring God in the way that they should. And the same is true for Cain. That that mirror is broken and cracked. In the ways that he could have been, he's doing even less now of mirroring God's image. And this is what our sin does. And more specifically, and more importantly for our time today, this is what murder does. Murder is looking at someone and taking their life breaking further the image that God wants you to bear in yourself that reflects who He is, what He loves, and what He desires of you. Not only that, but it's actually taking away one of His image bearers from the earth. Now we could just stop there and Many of us, like last week, um, not assuming that you did, but look, let's be honest. When we read last week, honor your father and your mother, it's pretty easy to be like the rich young ruler and say, all of these things I have done since I was young. Okay, look, I wasn't perfect, but I know a lot of people that were a lot worse off than I was. I obeyed my parents much more than my friend, my neighbor, my brother, my sister. And yet we're not allowed to stay in that space. See, what was happening last week when we were talking about honoring your father and mother, we think it's easy for us to get off the hook for that. We could look at all the previous commandments and say, yes, yes, I know. And the way that I relate to God, the way that God wants me to to worship Him and think about Him and not have any other God before me and and not make His image ugly and not me not be worshiping something that's outside of what He desires of me. Um, Okay, yeah, I do that wrong sometimes. But honoring my father and my mother, well, I, I did that pretty well or I'm doing that pretty well right now. See, here's what's different about last week and this week. Last week was a bridge between these two tables of the law. Okay? We've talked about these ten words that God has given to us, these ten laws. That first table, that first tablet, this first set of laws that says, this is your duty to God. And the second table, which we're diving into today with murder, is this is your duty to your neighbor. This is what God expects of you in the world. And when it comes to your father and your mother, this is a bridge between these two things. Because as we studied last week, God gives fathers and mothers, no matter how good they are, no matter how bad they are, to be His representatives on this earth. That we would obey them. That we would learn from them what is good and what is bad. That like in the book of Proverbs that we're going to look at here in just a second, we would be taught by them and that we would understand God's law. What, he, what is evil and what is good. Um, in fact, in Proverbs chapter 1, we read this. 
Let me turn over there. You have to forgive me, ESCOM's messing with my sermon notes. Um, so I'm a little bit, uh, I'm flipping back and forth a lot. Uh, the book of Proverbs, the first nine chapters of it, are the words of a father to his son. It is the words that fathers are to teach to their sons. And what is the purpose? To know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing and righteousness, justice and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear an increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance to understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and the riddles. And why? Why all this? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. And the very first thing that flows out of despising wisdom and instruction and not fearing the Lord, hear my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching, for they are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. My son, if sinners entice you, do not go along with them. If they say, come with us, let us lie and wait for blood. Let us ambush the innocent without reason. Like Sheol, like hell, let us swallow them alive and whole like those that go down to the pit. And then we shall find all their precious goods and we will fill our homes with their stuff. Come on, throw in with us. And we'll all have one purse. We'll spread it out equally. My son, do not walk in the way with them. Hold back your foot from their evil paths for their feet run to evil and they make haste to shed blood. What's the first thing that our ignoring of wisdom? What is, what is the first thing that foolishness leads to? The desire for the blood of another. Why? Well, in this case, it's greed. It's greed and envy. For no reason, really, they say, yeah, let's just take this person's stuff. We'll take their blood, and then we'll take their stuff. I love detective shows. Tara and I love detective shows together. We love watching them together. Um, and always, in the detective shows, you know, they always try to figure out the, mur the, the motive of the murder, right? The detective walks into the room, and they look around, and they see a window broken. They see a knife laying on the floor, um, and usually, I mean, come on, it's always the same thing, right? Someone is lying dead, they got stabbed once, oh, well, clearly this was self-defense, or there was a tussle. Or you see someone whose body is butchered, and they say, oh, this is a crime of passion, right? These are always the two options that they give in detective shows when murders take place. And by and large, the reason why they can always do that is because it's always true. The motives for murder are almost always the same. And when in doubt, the ultimate motive for why we would take someone else's life is simply to justify ourselves. 
Why does Cain murder his brother? Is he jealous because God took his sacrifice? Maybe. Yes. But maybe he's just jealous that his brother himself, that his brother got accepted. And he didn't get accepted. He got turned away from the Lord. And he says, you know what, God, you don't like my sacrifice? Let me show you another sacrifice. You like the blood of my brother's sacrifice? Let me give you some blood, is what Cain says. In the same way, in this world, when we are unaccepted by people, at work, right? What happens at work? Always the same thing. You know, there's a little bit of infighting, and this person doesn't like that person, and this person doesn't like that person, and you come into a new job, and you're looking around, and you're thinking, okay, I need to navigate this. I need to figure out who's going to last the longest here, because that's the team I need to be on. You figure out whose team you need to be on, and then what do we do? We throw that other person that's already on their way out right under the bus, and we do it all the time. We do it in friend groups. We do it in, in just general social groups. We may even do it at church. We do it everywhere. Why? Because we need to justify ourselves. Or so we think. It seems as though Cain never thought, well, okay, I understand. God didn't accept this sacrifice. Let me go to my brother and I'll trade him some things and I'll get one of these fatty lambs and I'll change my heart and I'll go to the Lord. Or did Cain maybe think, okay, maybe it's not this. Maybe I just need to leave my gift at the altar and I'm going to go away and figure out what's happening with myself. Why is God upset with me? And then I'm going to come back to him to repent and then he'll accept my gift. No. He says, fine, you're not going to justify me, God. I'll justify myself. Here's your sacrifice. Its blood is crying out of the earth. So what should we not do? I think we've pretty much picked up on it. We should not murder. Okay, <laughs> We should not murder. Proverbs chapter 6, verses 16 and 19 says this, There are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to Him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that, sh that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises evil plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among brothers. If we were to turn over to Matthew chapter 5, we would read this. You have heard it said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. You will be judged. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, that is, people that make decisions about what's right and what's wrong according to God's law. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. So, if you're offering your gift at the altar, 
And there, remember that your brother has something against you. Leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you're going out with him to court, lest your accuser hand, accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly, I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. Whoa. Jesus just did something wild there. It seems as though, okay, he talks about hell for a second, but now he's just talking about human courts or is he? Right? He says, and you'll never get out until you pay the last penny. You want to justify yourself so badly? Okay, get yourself out of the prison that your sin of murder and anger and hatred has put you in. You're never going to do it. You're never going to do it. Throughout all the Proverbs, um, we see what Jesus is saying here when it comes to murder. That murder is not just simple as getting some blood on your hands. Uh, although it is that. It's much deeper than that. It's much greater than that. Throughout Scripture, we see certain kinds of murder that we should definitely avoid. Uh, why? Well, because we, as, as we already read, Murder is wrong, not just because God says so, but because it's taking the life of someone that is made in God's image. Some ways that our world has grown very comfortable with doing this would include abortion. That is the killing of a baby. Now, in Scripture, in, in Jeremiah, we read, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. Where we read about John the Baptist leaping in his mother's womb. Image bearers. People that carry God's image. Or as the psalmist would say, your eyes saw my unformed body. That is before that little baby even really came into being. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. We also see this in euthanasia, which is a funny word. Eutha, which is good. It means good death. And this is the allowing people of a certain age, no offense anyone, <laughs> to be put to death because they're no longer of use on this world. Also, suicide. It's the taking of your own life. If we wanted to look at that more closely, um, we could look at how the Lord cares for us and loves us. In Luke chapter 12, Jesus says to His disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. Right? He's there to care for us. So even the taking of your own life is a form of murder that God does not want to see happen. 
And yet throughout the Proverbs, here's one of the interesting things, is that the taking of life is not just simply the stabbing or the shooting or the pain of someone to stab and shoot. It's much deeper than that. That young man who his father is talking to him in Proverbs chapter 1, it's like saying this, that look, if you go off and do these things, you're going to die. Probably one of the people that you're running with is going to kill you. And if not him, you're going to die of old age. And when you die of old age, you will be completely separated from God. Because you never turn to Him. Never look to Him for help. Never look to Him for salvation or repentance. Or we see in the book of Proverbs that all sins that are, 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 are unwise for our lives in the here and now lead to a kind of death. They lead away from a fullness of life. They lead away for us from Jesus. And so this is why Jesus is able to say, don't be angry. Don't be angry. You're killing yourself with anger. You're separating yourself from your neighbor and you're separating yourself from me with that. Later on in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says this, You have heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak also. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give, the one who begs, give to the one who begs from you, and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. Now, um, people talk about this like this isn't a thing today, but this is a thing today. Um, back when that law was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, why? Well, because let's say... Um, Vusani were to, sorry Vusani, I'm going to pick on you. Let's say Vusani were to um, uh, take my watch, okay? And I said, well, he's not allowed to take my watch. Um, you know what? I'm going to hit him over the head with a rock. That would be an inappropriate thing to do if Vusani took my watch. Now, an eye for an eye would say something like, well, I get my watch back, or you know what? He's going to buy me a new watch, all right? It doesn't mean that I get to kill him because he took my watch. So we look at this and we say, oh, how barbaric, an eye for an eye or a tooth for a tooth, even though this is what we do today as well, okay? And what Jesus is saying, it's not like that anymore. For those of you that are believing in me for salvation, it's not like that. It's not an eye for an eye. It's not a tooth for a tooth. Why? Because you have been forgiven. That's why. Because you've been forgiven. We'll come back and touch on that in just a little bit. Okay. We've got an idea of what we should not be doing. What should we be doing? What should we be doing? For each of these commandments, some of them have been negative. Right? Um, this one is very negative. Do not murder. And yet, like Adam and Eve in the garden, when God said, don't eat of the fruit of that tree... What was built into that command from God was, look at all the other trees around you. Eat, drink, be merry. And yet, when Satan came, Adam and Eve said, you know what? 
this is a restrictive law. We are going to eat of that fruit because we want to know what it's like. In a very similar way, God is saying, look, there's so many good things that you could do for your neighbor instead of murdering them. You don't have to take their life to justify yourself. You're not going to be able to do it. Look at all the ways that you can instead go to your neighbor and help them. So what should we do? Well, we could go to the Proverbs for this. I think, in fact, it's important to go to Proverbs for this, um, even though we could go to all kinds of places in Scripture. And one of the reasons why I say that is because in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Jesus is called not only... Um, not only is Jesus called, uh, sorry, just lost my spot. Jesus is called the wisdom of God. He is the wisdom of God. In fact, Jesus fully embodies the book of Proverbs. Okay? Jesus completely and wholly, perfectly lives out these good words of wisdom that fathers are to give to their sons, that parents are to give to their children. Paul tells us that Jesus Himself is the wisdom of God. And in Proverbs, we read things like this, the lips of the righteous feed many, but fools die for lack of sense. Okay, What's being said here? Well, for lack of sense, fools die. This could be someone that's murdered, and it can be the murderer. That because you are foolish and walking down a path of sin you will die. This means probably in the here and now, but it also means in eternity. Eternity separated from the, the good and, and uh, separ separated from the personal good presence of God and instead receiving the bad righteous judgment of God. Okay? So the lips of the righteous feed many. Now this, throughout Proverbs, also uh, looks at the fact that we are constantly encouraged to give, and give to and serve those who are in need. So the lips of the righteous feed many. Or in Proverbs chapter 12, verse 26, One who is righteous is a guide to his neighbor, but the way of the wicked leads them astray. So one who is righteous, that means us, Christian, for you and I that know Jesus as our Savior, who are righteous because of His righteousness placed on us, we are to be a guide to our neighbor. We are, in fact, in order, we are to give our neighbor this wisdom. This wisdom that says, neighbor, look. This could be the neighbor in your house. It could be your next door neighbor, the person across the street, the person you work with. It, it looks something like this. Neighbor, if you go that way, you're going to have problems. That way leads to death. This way leads to life. This good wisdom includes the gospel. Gracious words, uh, connected to that in Proverbs 16, gracious words are like honeycomb to the lips. It leads to the sweetness of the soul and the health of the body. Simply to say that when you are guiding your neighbor well, with gracious words that point them to God, this leads to a fullness of life 
and a richness of life, which is the opposite of murder and of death. And then lastly, do not, from Proverbs chapter 3, do not withhold good from those to whom it is due. To which the Pharisees would say, who is my neighbor? To whom is good due? And Jesus would say, you know who your neighbor is, okay? That person that's next to you, that is who deserves your good. But the proverb continues on, when it is in your power to do it. So don't withhold good to whom it is due when you have the power, authority, resources, whatever the case may be, to do it. What is the opposite of murder? It's giving life. It's giving life. So there's one thing you can't do, right? You can't murder. You can't do what is evil as it pertains to this commandment. But there are countless good things that you can do to give life. You can share a meal. You can share wisdom. You can give eternal life by sharing the good news of the person and work of Jesus. The very wisdom of God. We're running out of time. And there's lots of things I'm not going to get into. Is there ever a cause for taking life? Well, we read in Romans and elsewhere in Paul's letters that the government is given the power of the sword. Now, we all know that that, that does not always happen justly, and yet it's supposed to. And so, yes, there are authorities in this world that are given the authority over life to enact judgment. And what about soldiers and war? Yes, we could say that in protection of their neighbor and in war, this is not a bad thing to do. There's several good movies about this. An old one, Sergeant York. A new one called Hacksaw Ridge, um, which are the new one, actually. I, I don't know if I would watch it if I were you. It's horrific. But all that to say, what happens in these movies? You have someone that refuses to take up arms and then they realize that everyone in their life that has been protecting them is about to die if they don't act. And yes, they need to protect and serve their neighbor. Okay, and we could go into greater depth than that. Um, but really what we want to end on, what does God require of us in this commandment? What should we do? I think we could go to Romans chapter 12, verse 20. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. And in doing this, you will heap burning coals upon his head, which is very much what Jesus was referring to in terms of retaliation just now. Let's bring it back, though, to how Jesus fits into this. You know, there's a couple times that Jesus uh, brings up Abel. One of those times is in uh, Matthew chapter 23, verse 29. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! If you build the tombs of the prophets and decorate the monuments of the righteous, saying, if we had lived in the days of our fathers, we would not have taken part with them in shedding the blood of the prophets. 
which is all very ironic, right? Because what are they about to do to Jesus? Thus you witness against yourselves that you are sons of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up then the measure of your fathers, you serpents, you brood of vipers. How are you to escape being sentenced to hell? Therefore, I send you prophets and wise men and scribes, some of whom you will kill and crucify, and some you will flog in your synagogues and persecute from town to town, so that, so that on you may come all the righteous blood shed on earth, from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, whom you murdered between the sanctuary and the altar, Truly I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. Jesus is talking to the scribes and Pharisees, and, he, and he's going throughout biblical history. Abel to Zechariah, and he's saying, look, all the murders. It's like you're guilty of all of them, because you're saying right now, you are justified, and you are right, and you are righteous, but when it comes right down to it, me, you're going to kill. My servants, you're going to kill. It's like all of this blood from the past is put on you. And Paul, Paul, uh, sorry, I'm not going to go to Paul yet. The writer of Hebrews, in in talking about uh, Abel, says this, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their their commendation. By faith... We understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous. God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. Paul's going to continue on, but then in chapter 12 of Hebrews he says this, And to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks better, speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. So how does this fit with Jesus? Well, it fits in a lot of different ways with Jesus. But the writer of Hebrews says it like this: that blood of an image bearer that was crying out to him. And Genesis, there's a greater blood that cries out on behalf of all sinners right now. A sacrifice that was better than Abel's. A sacrifice that was far better than Cain's sacrifice of his brother. It is the blood of the crucified Jesus who died to forgive you of your sins. It's not just a sacrifice that says, God, take this good gift that I'm giving to you, and in which God says, I will give you, I'll give you righteousness for the moment in essence. It, it is a gift, it is a sacrifice that gives all of Jesus' righteousness and His, His rightness before God to you so that Christian when we go into the workplace and we start murdering our neighbors by throwing them under the bus with the boss or with our other co-workers 
so that me, when I'm on the road <laughs> and I want to throw someone under a bus for being a bad driver and I'm angry with them and I'm taking their life with my eyes so that when that person in your household does something to you that you say, that's it, that's the last straw, I'm going to let them have it. Or, for some, that actually end up getting the blood of another on their hands, this is a sacrifice that says you are forgiven all of your sins. Until next time, Know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God the Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit is with you all.